Hello again, everyone, and welcome to this, the 80th episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Since we last joined you, this year's weather woes have certainly continued with two out-of-nowhere storms, both Hurricane Sally and Tropical Storm Beta. Both have been big rainmakers, especially Sally, that as we understand has brought some real hurt to some of the fields and farms around the Florida Panhandle and South Alabama and parts of South Georgia. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Editor Frank Giles. Frank, in our last podcast, we did talk about weather and hurricane tracking with with Mike Boylan of, of Mike's Weather Page, and in that discussion, even he didn't see these last two storms coming. Yes, it's been a crazy year. I, I just saw a post from Mike a little bit earlier today, and he said the last time that there have been nine named storms to hit the lower 48 U.S. states was in 1916. So it's been a busy, busy, busy year. Uh, there's even a, a little system down on, on Cuba right now that, that we'll be watching maybe coming up uh, through Florida later in the week. But it's not showing much potential at this point, but uh, in a year like this, who knows? Nothing, nothing nothing, like having more rain coming in on your usual afternoon tropical downpours. No kidding. <laughs> but anyway, today we're not going to talk about weather. We're going to shift gears back to uh, to late season cotton production, and, and more specifically, we're going to talk about harvesting and ginning. And joining us in just a few minutes in our virtual studio is going to be our friend, Dr. Ed Barnes, who is Senior Director of Agricultural and Environmental Research with Cotton Incorporated. We're going to be talking about harvest and in particular, we'll be talking about the things that growers and ginners need to keep in mind when they're handling round modules from the field to the gin in order to prevent or certainly reduce plastic contamination. So uh, you'll want to stay tuned for that discussion and a few other topics as well. But now before we get started, let's hear a short message from our sponsor, Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. Well, our continued thanks to the folks at Phytogen for sponsoring the Cotton Companion podcast. And now, as always, let's turn things over to our colleague, Robin Sickberg, for a custom content interview with Dr. Brad Hopkins, who is Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist in Central and South Texas. Hello, I'm Robin Sipper, Custom Content Editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. My guest today is Dr. Brad Hopkins, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist in Central and South Texas. So welcome back to the program, Brad. Thanks for having me, Robin. I know the last time you were on, we talked about the 2020 season and some of the challenges and successes that, that growers had in your area in Central and South Texas. What about looking forward to next season? What do you think um, they should be thinking about as ter terms of varieties to choose? We're still really excited about Phytogen 400 and Phytogen 480. So both of these are going to be your wide strike three enlist, meaning that they've got wide strike three insect protection. They've got uh, three gene BT control for your different caterpillar pests like bollworm. Uh, and really growers haven't had to spray these uh, three gene cotton plants like you might on the two gene BTs. It also has the enlist trait, and so that's going to provide robust tolerance to glyphosate like Roundup, as well as glufosinate like Liberty, and 240-choline. So this is the, the component of enlist one 
or an Enlist Duo is 240-choline with glyphosate. And so that resistance to 240-choline uh, really gives you a powerful tool for controlling those hard-to-control weeds on your farm. You know, both these varieties have, have done really well. This is the first commercial year for Phytogen 400, but uh, in 2019, they were number one and two across all of Texas A&M's Monster and Race trials. So, you know, across average on those 23 trials, Phytogen 400 beat the nearest competitor by 84 pounds a went and, and $47 an acre. And so far from, from looking at it here in 2020, it's continued to perform really well and, and looks promising uh, for a second year here. You know, 400 is really broadly adapted. It's done really well across different soil types, different environments, uh, high, high water, low water, really good early season vigor. And, uh, you know, it's really a shorter plant. It loads up with bowls really early, and it's, it's highly responsive to growth regulators. So we've really only needed about a half to three-quarter X rate of, of growth regulators uh, throughout the season compared to other varieties. Well, it certainly sounds like it's a, an excellent adaptable variety for, for your area. Are there any other varieties that you're looking at that you think would be excellent choices? Yeah, you know, 480 is a really nice complement to 400. So it's a, you know, it's a true mid. It's a little bit longer maturity than 400. Uh, it's done particularly well in heavier blackland type clays. Uh, which which make up a, a chunk of folks' farm. It does particularly well when it's planted early. So, you know, the combination of, of 400 and 480 together, they, they could do really well and paired together on a grower's farm. It's also got uh, resistance to root knot nematode as well. So guys that, that might have a nematode problem can be a really nice fit. Well, thanks again for being on the program. We're out of time, but growers can go to phytogen.com for more information. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Robin, and thank you, Brad, for that interview segment. Before we bring Ed Barnes into the virtual studios, we've got a couple items we want to touch here briefly. Uh, first up is the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol will be conducting a number of live webinars from late September through December. Uh, these events will let Jenners and growers know why they should participate in the program. Uh, webinars for Jenners and cooperatives come up first. Uh, there's one on September 22nd, which will have come and gone by the time you hear this, but there'll be other opportunities on the 23rd of September, the 24th and 25th of September. The sessions for cotton producers are scheduled September 29th and 30th, and there will be sessions in October, October 1st, 6th, 7th, 8th, 13th, 14th, and 15th, and one in November on November 12th, and one in December on December 10th. So our cotton producers have ample opportunity to learn more about the Trust Protocol. All of these sessions will begin at 8 a.m. Uh, Central Time, and that's for the Jenner webinars as well as the grower webinars. Uh, you can learn more about these events and sign up at the Trust U.S. Cotton Org. Uh, you can search cottongrower.com for the U.S. Trust Protocol to learn more as well. Their pilot project was successful and enrolled uh, 300 U.S. cotton growers, and they hope to have 500 to 750 growers on board by the end of this year, and half of all U.S. cotton production by the year 2025. So pretty ambitious uh, program, but it sounds like one worth doing. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make an impact. 
I think, in the market because the, it's it work, it's going to be able to, to provide the information that the folks farther up the uh, up the cotton chain in terms of the textile manufacturers and certainly the retailers, uh, the type of information they're looking for. So, uh, again, if uh, we urge you to uh, to take advantage of these opportunities and, and join in on these webinars uh, to learn more about it. Very good. Next up, we have some fun stuff. Uh, if you'd like to take photos as much as me, you'll want to submit an image to the Cotton Board for its 2021 uh, calendar photo contest. If you want to submit an entry, here are a few things to keep in mind when you're snapping the photos. Uh, they are looking for creative and captivating images of cotton in any stage of development. Uh, no people in the photos, please. Photos which should be taken in a horizontal format. And to be eligible to win, con contestants must first like the Cotton Board Facebook page then email a high-resolution res, high JPEG to our friend Stacy Gorman at sgormancottonborg.org. Up to three entries per contestant will be considered. The contest uh, submission ends at noon central time on Thursday, October 8th, 2020. So you got a little bit of time to get out and snap some shots. In addition to having his or her photo included in the calendar, the winner also will receive, receive a cotton prize pack from the Cotton Board, including 25 copies of the calendars that you can share with family and friends. Uh, you can also learn more details about the contest at cottongrower.com. All right, well, thanks, Frank. I certainly hope everyone interested in, in this advantage, uh, not only of, uh, of this fun activity for the, for the photo, but again, taking advantage of the, uh, the Trust Protocol webinars as well. Frank, as you may recall, in our, our last episode, we reported on a new Cotton Incorporated project titled Prevention of Plastic Contamination When Handling Cotton Modules. And like most Cotton Incorporated projects, it's really an industry-wide effort to help maintain U.S. cotton industry's longstanding reputation for producing contamination-free cotton by preventing plastic contamination when handling modules from the field to the gin. And with that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Ed Barnes, Senior Director of Agricultural and Environmental Research with Cotton Incorporated, and uh, I'd like to invite him to come on in now to the Cotton Companion Studio. Ed, thanks for joining us. Uh, how have you and your colleagues at Cotton Incorporated been doing in these, uh, these challenging, strange times? Yeah, we've really been uh, adapting, I think, like everyone else. I think we're all now experts at Zoom, WebEx, Google Meets, uh, all of those different platforms. And so uh, I do miss not getting in the field like I used to, but I don't miss the airplanes. I don't think any of us miss the air, air travel at all. But yeah, we're, we're right with you on missing the, uh, the field travel. Uh, let's go ahead and get, get into this. Now, we, we all kind of remember, certainly remember, I think the three of us, uh, how automated cotton harvest was handled, uh, you know, decades or so ago with a picker or a stripper, some bull buggies, a module builder, and as many workers as you could find to provide that good bit of automation involved in the process. And it's just not the way it works anymore, but it sure helped build that long history of high quality U.S. cotton. Why is that history in, in question now? Well, you know, that is an, an important question. One thing I want to start out by saying, and the National Cotton Council just hosted a meeting last week where they did a survey 
with Cotton Council International of uh, textile mills perceptions of contamination in, in the world's cotton. And so the, the good news is we're just behind Australia in perception of contamination-free cotton. And it's because of that reputation, people have very high expectations of U.S. cotton. And so what we've seen happen in the last three or four years as we've moved to these new harvesters that you know, make the round modules and wrap it in a plastic wrap is that plastic is getting in to, to the gin and it's making it into the bell. And so we've gotten a really strong reaction from our customers because of that. They're, they're used to seeing contamination-free cotton. And when there's some plastic showing up, that's, that's really got their attention. Well, let's, let's look at, at some of the things in, in this report. We, we realized the problem with, uh, with the plastic and uh, what steps are growers and ginners taking to help solve those issues? And, and what was sort of the, the purpose behind the report to, uh, as, a, as a reminder or, or, or new recommendations? Sure, so we have seen, and, and that's one of the things that's been a little frustrating is we've collaborated a lot with the National Cotton Council, the National Cotton Ginners, and really trying to educate the industry about the potential for plastic contamination and what can be done to prevent it. And you know, early on we go into a gin and you look at that gin and they're doing everything right. They have a, you know, a custom opener for the module so that they're, you know, they're cutting at the right place. They can see what they're doing. They've got crews carefully removing the plastic. And even some of those gins have gotten plastic calls. And so we step back and say, how is this happening? And so part of the, the uh, emphasis for the project that, that this report talks about was let's go back upstream and see if we can trace any problems between the field and the gin that could be contributing to this plastic contamination. And so um, the idea was to put some cameras on the, on the loaders that are handling these modules, and especially so we could see the bottom of the module. One of the things we were concerned about is in, in some, most of the cotton belt were pretty flat, and when these modules go down, the bottom stays the bottom. And so we don't really get a good look at that until you know it gets on the, it may not even get a good look at it on the module feeder. So one of the objectives here was to get a look at the bottom of that module as well. I'm, I'm assuming that that involved a lot of GoPro cameras and, and other, other activities. You're putting cameras in places you normally don't put cameras. That, that's right. And so it turns out those GoPros are pretty robust. Uh, that's <laughs> definitely the, we, we've got three important collaborators on this project. They're really doing all the work. Um, one is here in North Carolina at NC State, Jason Ward, an ag engineer. And he put, he's, he kind of started some of this, putting a GoPro on one of the handlers in the field. And you know, one of, the, one of the challenges of this project on doing the field data, the guy that's actually staging modules in the field, is they know there's a camera on their loader. So that's kind of, you know, so we kind of know we're getting best behavior. Um, and probably all these situations where, you know, some of the people that are willing to participate in this are going to be the most conscientious because they want to solve this problem. Even then, we still saw a few things, you know, um, that, that could be done better and probably even more useful or where we're not uh, going to be looking at the best players 
is when we have the cameras at the gin yard. So we put them on the also on the handlers at the gin yard. And so, you know, we can at least see what's happened between the field and when it got to the gin, what, what kind of damage are we seeing there? And so in that case, Bobby Harden um, at Texas A&M and John Wanyura and Matthew Pelletier with the USDA Gin Lab in, uh, in Lubbock, Texas, have helped in, in working with some gins, some commercial gins where we put cameras on the handlers in their gin yard. And now that was really uh, a way to get our sample size up because now instead of you know doing maybe a couple hundred modules in a producer's field, we're doing a couple thousand modules on the gin yard. And that's where we started feeling like we're seeing some things that we could talk about. You had mentioned the vision or camera vision. Uh, before the shutdown, I had the opportunity to visit with uh, Kent Fountain, who is uh, currently serving as the chairman of the Cotton Council, but also a Jenner in Georgia. I know he has been working with uh, a prototype technology that can identify the the plastic in the cotton during the ginning process and kick that out. Are you familiar with that system and, and any progress it's making? Sure. No, that is a system that actually was a joint project uh, here at Cotton Incorporated with the, the Lubbock Gin Lab and our fiber competition division. Uh, Vicki Martin also helped fund that project. And so uh, it was really uh, Matthew Pelletier and then some people at the New Mexico Gin Lab as well had this idea of, hey, could you know, put, could we put a camera at the uh, feeder apron on a gin stand? So if those of you familiar with a gin, that's one place where the cotton's all spread out and you can get a good look at it. It's not stacked on top of, you know, all clumped together. And so uh, Matthew came up with a way to, to use some inexpensive cameras and actually using uh, some machine vision technology, mainly based on color, uh, but that, that, you know, that could operate and then trigger a solenoid. And when it saw plastic on the feeder apron, actually blow that cotton onto the floor of the gin stand. And they made they had a lot of success with that, and so much so that a uh, private company called Bratney, uh, out of, uh, they kind of do uh, detection of like bad, bad nuts and things like that, um, worked with and then partnered with Lummis, who of course is a major gin company. Uh, and so now they have a, a commercial system, they call it the Viper. And so that is available now for gins, you know, that are, are interested. They can purchase that for their, put it on the feeder apron, and then it will actually blow off the, uh, the any plastic that's detected. So that's an exciting, you know, new tool that that's really just available this year. Yeah. Any any indication on acceptance of that? You know, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of the these new large mega gins would be jumping all over that to add add to the systems. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know, you know, they, they did, like you said, Kent Fountain has done some tests and it's performed very well. And so we'll see how it goes from there. I don't know the, you know, the exact pricing on that. There's a lot of different things that got to have to go into that equation for a gin. Uh, but I do think we'll, we'll see that technology adopted uh, now that people are, are finding out about it and seeing that it actually works. I think that was some people wanted to see, is it really going to work in a commercial gin without someone holding its hand all the time? Uh, before they're ready to commit. Let's go back to your report again. You talked about uh, having the cameras out there and looking at, at things that you never looked at before. What sort of things did you see that should make this movement process and, and, and reducing contamination? What, what did you see that you didn't see before? Yeah, so, 
you know, some of the things we kind of speculated about, and, and this confirmed our speculations, and I will say this is an ongoing project, and we put out this report now, even we, we're, we're going to do this again this year, this growing season. Um, but we wanted to get out our early findings now, or, you know, early uh, results, because it is such an issue. But some things we saw that maybe weren't surprising, but just want to reinforce, you know, when these things, when the, if you set these modules down on regular cotton stocks, it's not, we haven't seen a big problem there. But if you've already harvested the field next door and you've shredded those stocks and you set these down on shredded cotton stocks, they will puncture the bottom of the plastic. And that's a concern, two reasons. One, now you used to have this layer protecting it from moisture and you don't have that anymore. And then secondly, because it's a puncture, you've pushed the plastic up into the cotton. And so no matter what the gin does, it's going to be very difficult from them to, you know, to get those little pieces of plastic that could be pushed in. Um, again, and this is, again, the advantage of being able to see the bottom of the module. Uh, and another thing we've seen is uh, damage from when people are using standard module trucks. And one thing the industry's been very good about adopting, I, th I think most of the module trucks I've seen now have adapted the chains in the bed of the truck. So they're not as aggressive, and, and John Deere has some good specifications out there on how to change those chains out. But another thing people started realizing, some of these trucks are set so that the chain is slightly faster than the truck when it's backing up to be a little more aggressive on a traditional module. And so some trucks, uh, yet, uh, someone can actually adjust that so that the chains are in perfect sync with the module. And so we've seen some tearing occurring even when the chains have been changed just because those chains are running a little faster. Uh, so those are things we've seen from, you know, coming out of the field. And then another thing we've seen, and this is really, uh, it happens both at the gin and in the field when you're staging modules, people get in a hurry, obviously harvest, is a very intense time, especially if there's a hurricane on the horizon. And so people, you know, maybe start to turn too quickly. And so especially with the more traditional forks where you're picking it up from the bottom, you know, you've got forks that are almost eight feet long. And so you need to back up quite a ways before you're free of that module. And we've seen sometimes people get in a hurry, they turn too soon, they clip the edge of that cover and now we set up, at that time, it may not look that bad, but then what happens is that allows that cover to kind of start to roll up. It exposes the cotton, and then it also kind of gets that, that plastic all messed up. So uh, that, that's another thing that we've seen. Um, and then finally, kind of another major thing we saw was if people are loading on the flatbeds, so a traditional semi, sometimes they don't that they slide them across the bed. And so there's there's you know two things going on. It's not good to slide that plastic along the ground no matter what. And then often there's gonna be a loose, uh, you know, a loose screw somewhere that's gonna catch the plastic and tear it as they push it. So those those are some things that were, you know, maybe not surprising, but we did see pretty consistently. And we really want people to, you know, to think about um, because this is, you know, as I said earlier, the industry, the textile mills, our customers are aware of this. They're now looking for it. 
uh, and there's some pretty s significant discounts to your cotton if it gets a plastic call. Now, now I know uh, the, the, you mentioned the National Cotton Council in their video series uh, that's out there on YouTube, and I, I think that's been available for almost a year now. Right, right. No, uh, and yeah. your report, uh, I, I'm guessing, is, is very comp complementary to, uh, to that series. Uh, was, this, was this sort of a, a planned cooperation uh, with the council, or, or uh, was your project already ongoing when, when their videos were posted? Uh, we, you know, we had a great meeting. I don't know, I don't, this was some time ago, maybe at least two years, if not three years ago, the, the council hosted, I uh, think they call it contamination summit. And so we all got together and talked about, um, you know, coordinating different projects. And so one of the, this is one of the strategies, and, th and that's an important point. This report is a mi somewhat minor in comparison to everything that we're trying to do uh, to prevent contamination. So, but you know, really, this one is our kind of our detective work, trying to understand uh, what's happening between the field and the gin. Then, as you already mentioned, Frank mentioned the, the Viper system. So we've got other projects ongoing. Uh, to look at mechanisms that can be put in place at the gin. One of the reasons we focused on the gin is kind of our last line of defense. So, you know, if, if we prevent something in the field um, and they mess up at the gin, then it's it's still going to get into the cotton. So we, we look at the gin as our, our last chance to, to catch these problems. Uh, so we're working with, uh, we're sponsoring work with the New Mexico Gin Lab. They're working on uh, this kind of cylinder cleaner that would actually heat up the cylinders and the idea is that the, the plastic would would melt and stick to the cylinder and that'd be a way to remove it um, and that's looking promising if we can figure out how to get the sticky plastic off the hot cylinder uh, <laughs> so that's the challenge they're facing right now um, you know and then we're even um, looking you know across the whole spectrum here at Cotton Incorporated, our other divisions, our fiber processing division, just purchased uh, one of the plastic detector detectors that uh, that cotton mills use, so that we have that in house and we can have that for testing. Um, our, like I said, our fiber competition division's been very involved in looking at uh, not only the Viper, but they also sponsored a, a machine out of China. It turns out there is a a plastic machine, putting up some air quotes there, uh, in China. And, you know, in the U.S., and if you're not familiar with cotton ginning, they have a stick machine, they have a burr machine. And so in, plastic, in, in China, they have a plastic machine. And so we thought, well, let's see if we could test that out. So Vicki Martin worked very diligently with uh, some of her contacts with the EFS group in China, got a hold of the, the, the Chinese com company that manufactured that and actually bought it got it into the US, which was not a small thing, <laughs> and is it had it installed at the New Mexico Gin Lab. It's called, we call it the Golden Lion. That's the, 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 the kind of the trade name for it. And it's basically a big fountain dryer that blows the cotton up. And the idea is, is for seed cotton. So this, the cotton would be heavier than the plastic. And you know the, the first attempts, it's kind of working. It's not working as good as they want, but uh, still, it's been a really important project to evaluate something that if it, if we figure out how to make it work really well, it's already available that a gin, you know, again, some other tool a gin could use right away. And I'll throw out one more just so I don't leave, just to let you know that we are working very diligently on this. Um, 
And again, at Cotton Incorporated, we're working with our, our textile division as well as our fiber competition division. Uh, and we're hoping to partner with, with John Deere and Tama as well uh, to develop uh, a specification, a performance specification for plastic wrap. As you're probably aware, that wrap right now is under patent by Tama, and that, that patent's going to eventually expire. And there's already been some you know, examples of, of people trying some alternative wraps. And what we really want to do is define what is the minimum criteria, not how to make the wrap, but what's the minimum criteria that, that puncture resistance or tear resistance that wrap needs to have before it should really be used in, in our cotton production system. And so we're, we're doing testing um, on that as well. So that, that should come forward pretty quickly. Yeah, no question. There's a, you've got a lot going on and, and, uh, and, and obviously more coming down the, the pike in, in terms of information. This report that, that you folks have just, just published, where can, where can growers and ginners find it? Sure. The, the primary location that we're housed at is at our kind of grower-facing website. It's called Cotton Cultivated. So if you put Cotton Cultivated in your search engine, it should pull it up, or the web address is pretty straightforward. It's cottoncultivated.cotoninc.com. And so that that's the featured report on that website right now. Okay. Well, and, and I'm, I would be remiss, at least from my perspective, while I have you here, what's the status of some of these research projects that have been underway regarding robotics for pest management or, or harvesting? I know we've talked about it in the past, but I'm just, do you have any updates on those? Sure, sure. And, you know, I get... Uh, People like to kid me now that I'm, you know, I'm talking about robotics and they're, uh, but so maybe, uh, you know, I'm starting to use the word autonomous system. So it doesn't sound quite as Jetson-like. Um, I, I like but, robotics. But yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of progress. I've really been encouraged by how much progress some of these researchers have made. Uh, the engineers at the University of Georgia, Glenn Rains, and one of his students took a spider sprayer, used machine vision on it put an, uh, a two-dimensional arm on it, and it can autonomously pick a cotton ball now. So the sprayer drives itself. It moves very slowly right now, but you know, in less than a year and a half with open source tools, they were able to accomplish that. So that to me was encouraging off the bat. Um, we've got Joe Maha at Clemson, has an autonomous little robot uh, that fits between the rows and he's actually pulling a cultivator with it for weed control. And so I'm excited. And, and what's exciting to me about this little robot, I know some of the growers look at it and think it's not very robust, but I've seen it go through mud. So it, it's pretty, you know, it's got four wheel drive. Um, it's small, it fits between the plants. So I'm thinking it could be a great scouting tool. And even going back to our plastic. So let's say, you know, one of the goals is to make these multifunctional products, right? So this robot doesn't just harvest cotton. It does weed control and it does scouting for pests and disease. And it could even pull plastic bags out of the field. So that's one of the <laughs> kind of thinking of, you know, once you got this robot on your farm, what else can you do with it? You know, where it went, maybe the uh, economics wouldn't justify that one task, but if it's part of one of many tasks, then, uh, then it starts to make sense. And so, and along that lines, we're working with Kansas State University with two ag economists there to help develop this economic model, you know, to look at how affordable would these robots have to be uh, to compete with our current harvest system. And so 
just a, a lot going on. Very exciting about the progress. It's interesting that um, I'm down here in Florida and cover some of the specialty crops. And uh, there's a grower in Plant City, a strawberry grower, who has been developing a, a uh, robotic harvester for strawberries. And it's really fascinating to see that that machine in operation uh, and to be delicate with that little soft piece of fruit. But it's, I think it's in its third or fourth version. And uh, they're looking at getting out there and doing some commercial harvest here, if not this season, very soon. Well, you know, and that, you know, that's interesting. I've, I've had people say, well, why don't you just let the, you know, the fruits and vegetables people are working on this, just let them handle it. And in reality, Cotton actually, it's easier to do cotton because you think about it, like you said, they have to be very careful on how they handle a fruit or vegetable. With cotton, we know we can be pretty aggressive in the way we pull that off. And also it's this nice white thing with a dark background. So machine vision doesn't have a hard time seeing it. You know, so there's a, in a lot of ways, cotton is like that model plant for, for robotic harvest. So we're, you know, and we're, we're kind of seeing that play out, but no, that, that's exciting. And, you know, you mentioned Florida. We're working with uh, Ian Small there. And again, another whole aspect of this is the machine vision is one of the enabling technologies. And one of the things we see that that, that might have uh, opportunity for use well before we have autonomous machines, if you could put a camera on your tractor and every time you pass through the field, it's looking at your plants. And you know, that'd be obviously an overwhelming amount of uh, video to look at. But if we can classify that video in real time and start only saving the images where we think, oh, there's a, there's a disease problem, there's some pest damage, and then flagging those, you know, that becomes pretty exciting. Um, and so Ian Small is doing some work on, on machine vision for detecting, uh, you know, uh, plant diseases and cotton. And so, again, it's just sometimes I get a bit overwhelmed about all the possibilities and have to put some blinders on. You're, you're a great cheerleader for, uh, for all of this, this technology that's coming. And, and I think with that, we're probably going to have to wrap this discussion up or, or, or we're going to start losing listeners, uh, you know, because we're running long on it. But Ed, thank you again for taking time to join us today. It's a pleasure. It's been great information and we certainly do appreciate your time. No, really, really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. That pretty much wraps up this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, thank you again to Dr. Ed Barnes for joining us in the virtual studio today. And thanks to the folks at Phytogen for sponsoring this podcast. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about us. And here's how you do it. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Well, if you've been missing Cotton Grower in your mailboxes, keep checking. Uh, our October issue is now on press. 
and I'm for our friendly rural postal carriers should be bringing it to you here within the next few weeks. This podcast is produced by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues back at the world headquarters for Maestro Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman. I'll be back with you in a few weeks for the next episode of the Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Frank Giles, we wish you all the best and stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. Whoa.